Yeah, I'll, I'll have that be your assigned duty now. And then when you get called on in church, you can be ready. I always like getting called on for uh, Sunday school. It's coming for you every time. Well, I like it because then he's 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 pretty pretty predictable. Where if he, if it's Sunday school close, I don't have to do the offering in church, oh. or close in church, and I don't, I'd rather do Sunday school because there's way less people. But okay. I know if I don't get if he closes in Sunday school, then I know I'm getting the offering. And if I don't get the offering for some reason, then yeah, I, but you're really good. No, not. Yeah, you are. Well, it's not it's not about that. No, but you're good. But the, yeah, as soon as you get pride, it goes down the toilet. So. Yeah, please let him know that my mom's name is name is Janet. Yeah, I said I think you should wear the name tag. I would do that. I would do that in prayer. No, I would not. That's one thing. Every now and then I've heard. Well, very few times have you hear somebody kind of making a little joke in a prayer, and I cringe a little. But I think if it's done, I very isolated it. It's something. But yeah, you're praying to God, and you want to be serious about it. But sometimes you say somebody says something that actually is just funny unintentionally. So, yeah, Tyler's a weird guy. Well, no, not really. Well, he asks really strange questions. He's intri- He's intrigued. Uh, he's been there a while. He was there when I taught Sunday school, and I've, he's come by. He, it's been a while, but he used to ask me. Actually, you know, I gave him one of these. One of his questions were about origins, and uh, so I gave him one of those. I gave him a reference to MacArthur's. Um, he's got a barely in-depth study on it, so he's intrigued. He must be—I think he's probably new in the faith because he did. He's—he's, yeah. he's, um, and they're young. Be bad, weird. Yeah, he asked. I like that. That was kind of like Joy, where she'll ask unique questions, and I think it's good to keep. He's real restless. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's—it's it's a strange situation. He sat in front of me, and I thought, just <laughs> Well, he's got the kid screaming well, no, and hollering. This time. I know, but there you can hear the kid all the time. Sunday school is yeah, throwing. That. In Sunday school. And yeah, they the wife goes into uh, the the what do you call it, the nursery, and the kid's going bazonkos every time. And so, so he's I. Doing better, like. Well, he gets pretty angry. He gets pretty. <laughs> so he's always kind of going back and forth to see how that goes. But I like Tyler. He's just young. I guess he's a little younger. I don't know. It, you know, I thought maybe I could take him under my wing a little bit, but it just kind of hadn't worked out yet. So, because I know he's trying to learn some things, and he asks he asks good questions. You know, he really does, um, and that's why I usually try and answer and help him out. But there was one time he it was after Sunday school. He came up to me and asked me. I don't know how we got on this stuff, but he was just shooting the breeze, and then uh, he started talking about young Earth, old Earth, and things like that. And the young kids. That's what they're brainwashed with. Is the is the you, you tell somebody you're you tell somebody under thirty that you're a young earther, you're gonna get looked at like you're crazy. Even if you're talking to a Christian, because they they just they, you get just overwhelmed with that theory that the world is at least millions, if not billions, of years old. So and so he asked me about that, and I actually gave him one of these. And I, like I said, I gave, and when I was talking to Brandon about the gospel and everything else it just came up you know one of his questions was about how old he you know how old I thought the earth was and when I told him six to eight thousand years he, he laughed out loud he's like you don't really believe that do you I go oh I really do believe that and that's what we're going to go through so that's a good a good flow of what we're going to go into and this is just uh and so this is about 
dealing with people, you're going to run into this a lot. Of, you know, a lot of people will, will challenge how the earth is. And um, so anyway, this is titled Chicken or the Eggs and Notes on Origins. And then this is not really an in-depth Bible study. But um, it's more of, when well, there's a couple of scriptures there, but it's more of just talking about origins in a, in a broad sense. So you understand um, how you can deal with some of these issues. All right. So biblically, the earth is about six to 8,000 years old. That's what we get that from is through the genealogies. There's, there's these genealogies in the beginning of uh, the Gospels that go from Adam all the way up through. Um, sometimes it goes, through, it goes to Jesus. And so anyway, I don't have the genealogy right from me, but they, but through the genealogies, where somebody's begetting the next generation, and so you're counting generations here, and so that's how you come up with the biblical age of the earth, is through those genealogies, approximating, of course, they lived longer in the beginning, and then you shorten the generations up as it goes along, you end up with approximately, again, there's no absolute definite year or, or date, obviously, but approximately... Christian scholars believe through the genealogies, the Bible teaches that it's between six and eight thousand years old is when creation happened. All right, so that's where we get the six to eight thousand years. Not the, we don't we contradict the millions and billions because we believe the Bible through the generations, the genealogies teaches that it's about six to eight thousand years old. All right, so these are just basically questions and challenges and things that come up, and then these are some things to help understand why the young earth uh, the young earth belief is not only biblical but also reasonable on a on a human level that you don't just have to say well we believe it and then that's it you know and, and anything else that comes along we're just going to ignore all right number 1 when god made everything he made them mature with the, he made things with the appearance of an age they did not have. He made Adam a man, not a baby. He made chickens, not eggs. So that's where the title comes from. You always hear that question, chicken or the egg? Which came first? Well, we know biblically the chicken came first. Um, when he made the earth, it was not a little ball that needed development. It, it would have looked many years old on day one. If you would have cut open a tree on day one, it would have contained many layers that would have made it in, that would have made it measurably aged. So point number one is you realize that when God created things, He made everything mature. He He didn't. Adam wasn't an embryo, and then come through a baby up to a young adult. He made. Now why I don't know. <laughs> That's just what He did. I mean, he just created man out of he created Adam out of dust, and he was on day one. If you looked at Adam, you wouldn't have said he's one day old. You would have said he's probably probably made him to look I was twenty years old. Maybe I don't know. That's just a guess. So well, you know that. we'll pray to the Lord and ask him. Why didn't he? Well, I don't know. I mean, also, I mean, if you just maybe worked that out a little bit in your mind, if he'd have made just a baby, then you'd have somebody, you'd have somebody to care for him, yeah, raise him and everything else. So that'd be my best answer. If he had an egg, you'd have to have the chicken to hat, you know. To, that's probably why. Just a guess. That's all I wanted to know. But you'll have to deal with the Lord on that. All right. 
But you see also the earth was made mature. Like if you looked at the earth on day one, how we measure the earth, it would have looked aged. And like I said, a tree, if you'd cut it open, you'd have these layers that people measure to try and figure out the age of the earth. And so that's one of the big things that when you understand biblically, when God made things, he made them mature. He made them, he made them with an appearance of an age and a history they did not have. All right, so number two, dinosaurs. That's one of the challenges you get to the young earth theory that you have to in order to and there's no doubt there were dinosaurs there's no refutation of that there's fossils that show that there were full-fledged full-grown gigantic dinosaurs and so there's no reason to refute that and um, and so if a lot of people will try to use that to, to teach well look you had to have those you tell me that the dinosaurs existed with man and I'm saying, yes, dinosaurs existed with man. Because, um, again, biblically, the, the earth is this, this age. But we'll go through this now. But you have to explain dinosaurs. Because they're there. The fossils are there. And so, but there's more and more evidence coming about through the fossils. They're actually finding fossils of dinosaurs with still with some red blood cells in them now. This is pretty recent, like the last three or four years. Which shows, which a lot of people are our understanding that that shows the dinosaurs were not as old as they think they were. They were measurably about 5,000 years old, which would fit about perfectly into the timeline um, with what we're going to deal with here. But they're, they're finding more and more of the technology now. They're finding more and more fossils of dinosaurs that have um, blood that If they were a million years old, there would have absolutely no red blood cells at all. And so that's just that more evidence. The more evidence they find, the more it proves the biblical timeline. All right, so here's how we explain dinosaurs. This is the best I have. Again, I'm not saying this is dogma or anything else, but this, I got this from John MacArthur, obviously, uh, his lesson on this, and I thought it was by far the best explanation of it I've ever heard. Um, all right, when God created the earth, there was a water vapor over it. Genesis 1-7. Okay, it says that there was... When God... And I'll get that and read that, I guess. That'd probably be helpful. All right. Genesis 1-7 says, God made the expanse, which is the sky, and separated the waters which were below the expanse, below the sky, the seas, from the waters which were above the expanse. So what you have here is you have the sky. In the creation, you had a water level below, which obviously is the earth, the seas, but you also had a water vapor over the sky. That's just what it says. All right, this water vapor likely was what God providentially used to extend the life of every living creature after the fall. So that water vapor up there, this is theoretical, and again, I'm not saying this is dogma, but it's just, I think it's reasonable, is that this, this water vapor kept the ultraviolet rays and kept the weather calm and, and just had an atmosphere underneath it that was way different than what we have now. And it is what God providentially, you know, God could sustain, because we know Adam and all the way through immediately after the flood age, people lived, Adam lived past a thousand years old, literally. And so I think God providentially used that water vapor to have an environment that produced life that lasted that long. Now, he could have just sustained them on his own supernatural power. But I believe this water vapor is what he providentially used to extend the life of every living creature. So every living creature 
lived a lot longer before the flood. We'll get to this here in a little bit, how the water vapor is no longer with us. Um, okay, well, here we go. He used this water vapor as part of his water judgment on the earth during the Noahic flood. So that water vapor was up there until the Noahic flood. That is the flood that wiped out everybody on the planet. It was a worldwide flood. And it said the water came from underneath and the water came from the sky. Obviously, some of that was rain and some of it was this crushing of this elimination of this water vapor just got, came down during the flood and that's what helped flood the entire world. So before the flood, okay, before the, so I'm saying here that the environment before the flood and the environment after the flood were completely different environments. Matter of fact, the Bible says that it had not rained up until the point of the Noah flood. Did you know that? Before the flood of, of Noah, there hadn't been any rain at all on the earth. God watered things from below. And so that's why people laughed at Noah when he told them what was coming. They're like, it hadn't even rained yet. You're telling me this all of a sudden it's going to flood the earth? And uh, so before the flood, you had a different environment where people and animals lived a lot longer. Every, everything did, including, like I said, including Adam. All right? Um, all right, sometimes almost a thousand years. And after the flood, it quickly becomes the lifespan we have now because the water vapor was gone. So that water vapor is gone, the environment's different. After the flood, it doesn't immediately go from like a thousand years to what we have now about at most a hundred years or, you know, right around there. But it progressively quickly got down there. A couple people lived 300 years and then it was right down to where we are now. I've never heard this, that animals used to live yeah, well, why not? Why wouldn't they? They're in the I mean, same it environment. Say it in the Bible, does it? No, I said this is some of this is theoretical. And like I said, I'm trying to explain dinosaurs. Um, but if you, but if I think you can logically extend that if people lived before the flood a thousand years, and then after the flood they quickly came down to a hundred, why wouldn't animals have a lifespan that was much longer in that same environment that was able to produce? So again, you're right. I can't go to scripture and verse on this, and but I think it logically can be deduced from it. All right, okay. Now here's the thing: reptiles are the only creatures. This is scientific. Reptiles are the only creatures that never stop growing dimensionally. Okay, we stop growing at a certain age, at least up. Okay, we sometimes we grow more out, <laughs> but you say we grow, we grow to a certain height, and then at some age. To me, I can't remember when it was, maybe 20 maybe, where I was a late bloomer, but then I, I got 6'4", and now I've been 6'4 ever since, and you reach a height, and you stop. But reptiles don't. They grow dimensionally up and up and up and up. They don't ever, that, that never stops. Okay, hence, so here you can see where my theory kind of connects here. Hence, before the flood, when a reptile would live much longer lives, they would become dinosaurs. They would grow up and up and up and up until you had gigantic reptiles is what they were. And so any reptile any reptile in the ark, a lot of people struggle with this too. Well, how did you get a dinosaur in the ark? No, you didn't have a dinosaur in the ark. You had a reptile. Could have been a lizard, a small lizard that would fit in your hand and you had the same thing as a dinosaur. It was a baby dinosaur. And so you see, and of course, and it makes perfect sense that the flood is what wiped out the dinosaurs. Because we'll get to fossils here in a little bit. But fossils were all created at the flood. That's when every fossil got created. People try and use fossils to extend all the way back to different things. But if anything, the, the fossil bed 
proves a cataclysmic flood where the ground opened up and the waters came out and flooded and you had death everywhere. I mean, whatever people, everybody on the earth except eight people died in that flood and animals too. Everybody but who was on the ark died. And then when God was done with it, he closed back up the earth and there was entombed in the ground all of these things that, that, you know, people and animals and obviously dinosaurs. But then you see after the flood, the environment changed. Lizards no longer live to be as long as they did before the flood. Hence, that's why now we don't have, we don't have dinosaurs anymore. But yeah, I believe absolutely they lived with human beings. Now again, I don't know how that worked itself out, but um, so biblically, I think that's how you can explain it. That's the best I have. There's other theories on it, but I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I, you know, the reason I did is because Grace, when she was two, became fascinated with dinosaurs. Yeah. And I, I never really thought about it, but then I was like, yeah, I need to be able to explain this to her, and I, because I didn't know. I knew they existed, but I didn't know how they fit into the Bible. Yeah. You know, people who go to Job sometimes and call the, uh, the Leviathan a uh, dinosaur, and, and I think timeline-wise, it might have been in there, but... Most people think that was a whale, you know, it's a large animal of some sort, but but I think this, but there's more than just, there's dinosaurs. We know that. Like I said, there's fossil beds. Yeah. All right. So that's how I think you can biblically defend that. That's true. So it's good to know these things because people will bring up these same challenges. All right, uniformitarianism. One, one long big word. Which that means, basically means the, the it's the theory that everything has gone along the same always. The same. Everything's been uniform. There's never been anything cataclysmic. It's just everything's gone along as it goes along now. And that's why people project back billions of years because they realize they can't prove evolution over a certain time period because you, we've never in the history of science seen anything evolve upward. Never. Into another species. And so you know what they do? They say, well, of course, it takes longer we haven't lived long enough, we haven't had science long enough to be able to see that happen, and so they just keep pushing back and pushing back the age. Um, but, but uniformitarianism is that idea that everything has gone along as it has, um, as it goes along now. And Second Peter 3, 5, and 6 will help us begin with this. It says, for when they maintain this, okay, okay, well, I'll read the verse before that. All right. First of all, know this. This is Peter writing. First is 2 Peter 3, and we'll begin with verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. Okay, so Peter's saying in the last days, which the last days is from Christ's first advent to whenever he comes back, so we're living in those days. And all of this scientific evolution stuff, it fits into those last days. And so mockers come saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And so the scriptures there we just read mentions two cataclysmic events that people ignore. Mockers will ignore these two cataclysmic events. One is creation. 
they ignore creation. They don't believe in creation. They, 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 they try and explain it away because they don't want to believe. The reason people deny creation is not because they don't know there's a creator. We've been through this in Romans 1. It's because everybody loves their sin, and so they suppress the truth that God gives everybody about the creation. The creation testifies to a creator, and there's, it leaves everybody without excuse. But what we do, and we all did this for a while, is we suppress that truth. Why? Because we, we don't want to believe in the Creator because we want to continue our sin. But anyway, the second, the second um, cataclysmic event there is the flood. They, they ignore that after creation, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. So there's two cataclysmic events that have happened in the history of the world that break up this uniformitarian idea that everything's just gone along. We just got to go all the way back and keep just pushing this timeline back. But you have to, first off, you have to ignore that everything was created instantly by, the, by God. You have to ignore that because it was cataclysmic. Everything came in, in one week he chose to do it. Six literal days. He, he created everything that was created. Nothing was created afterwards. Everything that we see now it was created in six days. Well, almost. I, sh I shouldn't say technically, but like when Jesus would heal somebody, he, I believe he created out of nothing something instantly. So there's still some creation and miracles, but very few. Basically, everything that we have, all the resources we have now, were created in those first six days. And it was cataclysmic. It was just he spoke it, and it was there. There was nothing he worked with. He didn't work with any material. And that's what I always go with, the people who talk about, um, and I just keep, whenever I hear, I talk, run across an evolutionist or, or somebody who believes doesn't believe in God, I say, well, where do you think everything come from? And they'll just keep going back and back and back. And they'll usually end up going to where, well, they had this little ball. And without any, any intelligence applied to it at all, all of a sudden it just exploded into what we have today. That's their theory. And, they, and I, first off, it's laughable. I say, okay, so you're telling me that this, this ball, nothing applied, no intelligence applied to it, nothing acting on it, just randomly exploded into the universe we have with the millions and millions of galaxies. And you're telling me that you think I'm crazy for believing in, you know, I'm, I'm the one with faith, crazy faith? That's insane faith. But on top of that, I wouldn't even let off the hook there. I go, where'd the ball come from? Yeah. <laughs> you, you, they're like, you, they, you end up with a dead end because you, you get back to a source of something where you have to have something create itself in their theory. You just have to have something that was something eternal. Something has to be eternal. Right, and that ball or whatever it is you back up to, just was there, you know. And then, and again, you have to explain the ball. And so, it, a lot of times they'll say, "Well, it just created itself," and that is logically, that's that that is not logical because in order to create yourself, you have to exist before you existed. So you know what I mean. So you can always back it up. And again, you, people want to make Christians sound like in lunatics because we believe in six to eight thousand years old. But if you just let them talk for a minute about what they believe. They sound on a just on a human level. I mean, I'm not talking about spiritual morale, you know, the moral reasons for suppressing the truth. I'm just saying just on a logical level, their theories are absolutely logically insane. And they have and they know because there's always so, something. We're saying that other people think the earth is older. Yes. Unbelievers all, they you know, the evolutionists and yeah, if you ask almost everybody who has an opinion about how old the earth is, it's going to be millions or billions, probably billions. And especially evolutionists. 
mean, that's what they were taught. Most of them wouldn't probably logically try to sign work that out, but they just have been taught over the past half decade, or I mean half century. Darwin's theory of evolution. And so that's what the schools do now. They've been doing it for a while. They brainwash them. That's why you, you get looked at like you're crazy if you don't believe in evolution. But the reason they back it up to billions is so they can make their theory work. Again, because they've never seen scientifically something evolve upward. Ever. Evolution is always injurious. Evolution, there are, there is evolution. Again, I believe in evolution, but not macroevolution. When macroevolution is something evolves upward out of its kind. The Bible says God made everything according to its kind. So within kinds, within dogs, the dog kind, you have different variations. And there are new species that there weren't back then. So there is evolution going on within a species. But what the evolution says, we started with some kind of slime or goo, and it just progressively evolved upward to man. That's their theory. Okay. But you need a lot of time for that to happen now because there's, they've never seen anything mutate upward. That's why the time is, is ridiculously long. That's what they go with because they, they know that science doesn't verify it. And the truth is it, it doesn't verify because it's impossible. It's impossible for something to mutate upward. And we'll get into a little bit more of this why that is. Alright, so when unbelievers assume things have always been exactly as they are now, they deny two cataclysmic events, creation and the flood. This is why they project back to millions and billions of year Earth age to explain their unbiblical theories. They say things if, if things have always been as they are without accelerating catastrophic events, then there must be billions of years for their ideas to make sense. They try and use fossils and layers of the Earth to calculate the age of the Earth. They ignore that fossils all came from the flood when God opened up the ground to flood the world and then closed it up again. If a bird dies now and falls to the ground, it is not fossilized but disintegrates. So you see that we don't have any more fossils happening anymore because if, you know, again, how would you have a bird fossil or, or something that would fall on the ground? It, they don't turn into fossils. They, they disintegrate before something happens. And so it explains all the fossils, as we talked about earlier, is the cataclysmic opening of the ground to flood the earth and then the closing of it, entombed it all. And then that's where we get all the flood. And I'm not saying it entombed every single thing that, that got killed in the flood, but obviously a lot. Every fossil that is, is um, something that happened during the flood, a death that happened during the flood, including dinosaurs and animals and anything else. All right, so number four, we have starlight. All right, so this is another thing that people will bring up to say that the Earth has to be old, has to be old, older than six to 8,000 years. All right, many people claim an old Earth because of the distance of the stars to the Earth and the time it would take light to travel to the Earth. Okay, so that what they'll say is um, the star is so many light years away from the Earth, and so light travels at a certain rate of speed, in order for it to go from the star to the Earth, there have to have an extended. You have to have longer than six to eight thousand years in order for that light to reach the Earth. That's their theory. All right. First, who's to say God didn't just create the light along with the star in the beginning? He has a reputation for doing that. Genesis one three. God said, "Let there be light," and there was light. Um, so it's possible, and that's kind of what MacArthur says: is that um, 
when he created the star, he created the light between the star and the earth and it just continually flowed since then. That's, that's a pretty easy, simple way to do it. But even setting that aside, the speed, this is more scientific jargon than I know about, but I've, I did a little bit of research on this. The speed of light has been slowing down over time. Each time it is measured, the speed has been slowing dramatically. Okay, so the speed of light as it's been measured over the past century, each time it's measured, it's, it's, the speed of light is slowing down. It's the law of entropy where everything is breaking down, and including the speed of light. Um, so each time it's measured, the speed has been slowing dramatically. If you projected that back 6,000 years, the speed would have been almost instantaneous. So you say, and see, you haven't been able to measure the speed of light until recently with science, scientific methods and technology we have now. But it's each time you have been, it has been slowing down each time you've been able to measure it. Okay? And so, but if you, the scientists say if you project that back 6,000 years, and go the other way with just kind of the same how fat, how slow it's been going how it's been slowing down to speeding that back up that you would have almost instantaneous light from stars to the earth when it was originally created so I think it's pretty legitimate too but either way either one of those I think would explain you know because you get that a lot you get a lot of people saying well how about you know if you if you're telling me the earth's 6,000 years old 68,000 years old then how does how can a star you can see the light of the star because it has to travel that far and you have to measure the speed and, 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 and again it doesn't work out um, but these two would explain that away and if you want no but you'll get it if you if you start when you start talking to especially younger kids and things you know they have because they there's professional people out there who are against the faith oh, yeah. and they they think of everything and again you you know that's why we're doing this is because I want you to be at least familiar yeah and have you don't have to have the scientific rings because because again I always say this I'm a presuppositionalist okay all right what that means is what what that means is I presuppose this is what that means Romans one we I know that whoever I'm talking to in evangelism that God has given them general revelation he know they know God in a sense they know he exists but also know they're suppressing the truth okay so the issue with the person, why they won't believe is moral. It's not intellectual. So I'm, the, so I'm, so I'm. I know if I could explain all of these perfectly intellectually, scientifically, have data and have it perfectly refute every one of their arguments. But I also know they will not believe that. They still will not believe the gospel unless God does something to their heart. Because why? Because they don't want to believe. It's not a matter of, of proving it intellectually or scientifically because you can't I mean, you can again I, that's why I, it's important to be able to do this because they, they, if they have legitimate questions they can make you look foolish especially if there's other people around you don't want to you don't want to you know you want to be prepared to defend the Christian faith and these questions are going to come up and if you can logically answer them and there are everything like I said there's nothing they can bring up that will that will disprove the Bible not really okay they'll, they'll distort their science in those things but real science will prove the Bible because the Bible is true. So we should not be ashamed of science, real science, genuine science that is, that is not intended to try and disprove God. You know, If somebody's motivation is to go out and disprove God, they'll just distort the numbers. But true science will prove the Bible. And the more stuff they find, the more archaeology going on, it just verifies over and over and over. Why? Because it's, it's real. This is literal history. The Bible is literal history. 
And so we have nothing to be ashamed of, but again, I want, you want to be prepared for these typical arguments that will come up. And if you can just give these, you know, kind of have an understanding of what's going on and have, have an answer, it'll help. But also, like I said, I know, and I even tell them that. I'll say, listen, I can explain every one of these things to you perfectly and, and have, you, have all your questions answered. But the reason you don't want to believe the gospel right now, the reason you refuse to believe is because you love your sin. That's the only reason. That's the barrier here. And so I'll go back. I'll try and bring them back. I'll, you know, they'll, they'll take me down this road. What about this? What about this? And I'll try and do my best. I say, I'll try to give you the best answer I got. I don't have all the answers, but I try and do the best I got. But I'm always saying, I'm bringing you back here. You're going to stand before God. You're going to stand before God. You are going to stand before God. That's, that's where you want to take evangelism, to the heart of their moral standing before a holy God, because that's the only thing that will convert somebody. You will not convert anybody by proving all of this to them. But you want to be prepared, uh, you know, I think to, to honor Christ, to be able to have answers for these things. So that's, like I said, I don't do a real in-depth study, but the questions I've come across, I like to be, because sometimes I'll have, if somebody has a question, I have absolutely no idea how to answer it. And, I'll, and my answer will be, if it's a real genuine question, I'll look into that for you. And usually it's not, but if... But usually that's just another there it's a challenge, you know. But if they will, if they really genuinely have a question and it seems legitimate and they're like, okay, I, you know, and I don't know it, I'll tell them. I'll say, I don't know that, but I'll look into it and I'll get back to you. But I've yet to come across somebody. It's more of a distraction thing, you know. It's their heart, their wicked heart, which we all were. I'm not judging. I'm saying their wicked heart saying, they're, she's going to send you on a rabbit trail. And it may be, some may be legitimate questions in their mind. They've heard well, you have to explain this to me. And if you do explain those things, they will help. It can help. But God, again, has to do the finishing work of regenerating a person to make them believe the true living God and true, and true Christ and be saved. All right. So, one more thing. For the data on this, I would refer you to Barry Sutterfield's book, called The Velocity of Light in the Age of the Universe, where he breaks all of this data down. It's a fascinating thing. The speed of light slowing also affects many geological measurements, including the half-life of uranium. I can tell you, I probably won't read that book. Yeah, I probably won't either. I didn't read that book, but that's where a lot of that data comes from. It's the data of where it shows where the speed of light is showing. It's the measurements and everything else. But somebody out there who genuinely says, okay, yeah. you know, you say that the speed of light has been slowing, well, this is where you can get some of the data. And this guy's a professional. He's not some hack. Yeah. All right, number five, evolution. So we've kind of been dealing with evolution anyway in a lot of ways because, like I say, that's the main theory that people have been using over the past half century to, to deny the Bible or, what you know, to try to explain origins. And a couple of things real quick. Um, I mean, if you read any any history on Darwin, who who created this theory, he he was very skeptical of his own theory. <laughs> very, yeah, especially at the end of his life. Um, he was actually very churched, grew up churched, and then he obviously, who knows what that environment was? It could have been a real church or it could have been a, a false church. But he was churched, very very grown up in religion and then he just rebelled and then he had this he came up with this theory of evolution but he was very skeptical of it because again it's as we talked about there's no science to verify anything 
ever mutating upward. And I think he probably realized that. And again, the, the reality biblically of a person who rebels against God and then creates a system that, that man, would not want to be Charles Darwin, let's put it that way, who affects so many people. Your heart gets dark, your heart gets hard, your heart, and I imagine he was a very depressed man at the end of his life, which is what everything um, reported about him came to that conclusion. All right, so evolution. First, we need to distinguish between macro and microevolution. We talked about this a little bit earlier. Christians believe in microevolution, that is, evolution within kinds. We do not believe in macroevolution, that is, things evolving out of its kind, an ape mutating into a man, is the example that you'll use, that commonly you'll have the finishing touch on the evolution was the ape going to the man, upward to another kind. There's absolutely no evidence or one provable instance of something mutating upward into another kind, and that's just a fact. There's no evidence of that possibility. This is another reason evolutionists assume billions of years, because we have never seen anything in recorded history evolve out of its kind. So that's why they press the years back, because they know that in, in recorded history there's just no evidence of it even leaning that way. As a matter of fact, mutations within kinds are always injurious, ending in loss, not gain. So when things evolve within kinds, which happens, it's injurious. When things mutate, they don't mutate upward to a more a better bird it, it if anything it's injurious it is say it, it goes downward all right now with the ability to analyze dna we now know that all the information something needs to be what it is is contained on the dna strand that's what dna is it's inform it's coded information on a strand and everything that something whatever it is animal human anything else to be what it is, is encoded on that DNA strip. This is all relatively new technology, of course, relatively speaking. So in order for something to organize itself upward, which is what a if you mutate upward, if you evolve upward, that means you have to organize yourself upward, okay? It would need to gain information on that DNA code. So you understand the DNA code would have to gain new information in order for, your, for something to, to evolve upward. This is something that evolutionists are having, having to deal with, which is impossible. It's impossible for the DNA code to gain more information. Uh, so again, evolution is impossible and just another mechanism sinful creatures use to suppress and deny their creator. So the DNA, when DNA... Zebra. Is that what you're saying? Something like that? Well, yeah, that would be an example, I think. I don't know if a is a horse and a zebra within the same kind. It, it may be. I don't They're know enough. Similar. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, like down in Florida, didn't we? We saw that zebra horse and horse. Together. Yeah, a horse. So that might, that might be within the same kind. Yeah. Something. But you mean a horse can't become a chicken? Yeah, chicken can't become a horse. A horse can't become. Or you can't have a human horse. Yeah, <laughs> you can't. So within kinds, you can. You can make different things and you probably have different species and obviously like I said those things Come and go there are there are a lot of things get extinct every day within species every day There's something going at going extinct, but then every day you probably have the production of some yeah. other species But it's always within kinds and the Bible talks about um, in the beginning He made things and I probably should pull this up because it's very clear 
that God made things in according to kinds. Yeah, this is Genesis 1, 24. This is on day 6. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. So you see these organizing these things in kinds. Okay, and what we're talking about macroevolutions is things don't evolve out of its kind. Within their kind, within their species, yes, there's all kinds of microevolution. There's no doubt. That's provable, too, scientifically. Microevolution within species. But macro is what is the difference is yeah see we created uh, monsters yeah me <laughs> yeah me and Derek were we were you so I created a subhuman species this is me uh, <laughs> I verify I that, that <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm definitely a mutation well, downward yeah it, it might be a mutation I don't <laughs> you don't know I don't think so I think you, I mutated downward what do you mean by subhuman oh. He's kidding. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean, guys? You... He's he's making a backhanded insult at me. I think. I and Derek, maybe it's just Derek. Because he's not here. <laughs> so you see here how they're in again. There's no evidence of evolution upward, and the DNA thing, the DNA, the the technology to see DNA strands now has absolutely disproved evolution. But people hang on to it. Like I said, if you just ask anybody, do you believe in the theory of evolution, 90% of people will say, yeah, of human beings. Because that's just what has been engraved in, now before that. You say, I believe in micro Yeah, we think species are evolution within kinds, yeah. That's, that's not, right. the theory of evolution is things went from slime to whatever, to whatever, to a monkey, to a man. They've got this whole... And you, they're still looking for that missing link between the monkey and the man. You ever hear that term? And they every now and then they get excited because they find a skull or some sort that looks like a half man, half monkey, and it always ends up being disproven because it's not there. It's not there. God created man out of dust. That's it. That's what he did. And so another thing is, uh, well, that's our closing thing here. And so our evolution in the Bible compatible. You'll have this now. I don't know how you have this, but you have people saying, well, you can believe the Bible and evolution. And maybe some, some real Christians would say that because they're trying to, to I guess, uh, not look, they think they, they don't know enough, so they just don't want to look foolish, and so they say, well, you can believe the Bible and evolution, okay? No, and also that, that is, and here's the question, that is, can a Christian believe both the Bible and evolution? Are they compatible? There have been many people propose this is possible. It isn't, okay, and here's why. Simply because evolution, what evolution is, is a process that uses death, okay? You know, you've heard the term survival of the fittest. That's what they would explain the upward evolution of creatures to man, is that whatever was the best, whatever was the fittest, survived, and it mutated upward. And the, the inferior things, or species, whatever you want to call them, was killed off. And so you have this upward movement of the fittest thing evolving upward, okay? So it's a process of death is what evolution is. 
That's what evolution is. You evolve upward, but it's through the process of things dying. Okay. But the Bible, here's the thing. The Bible teaches that death didn't exist until after man sinned. So the Bible teaches that there was no death before man was created, and there was no death even after he was created until he sinned. So Adam could not come from, a, and that's what they'll say, Adam, oh yeah, we believe in Adam, but he came through the process of evolution. Well, biblically, it's impossible, because there was absolutely no animals dying, there was no human beings dying, nothing died until after Adam ate the apple, or ate the, whatever the fruit was. That's when the process of death immediately began. Now, they didn't die on the spot. That animals and, and those things began. That's when the, everything was corrupted by the fall of man. So when God created man, women, you know, nobody died? No, not until after he sinned. Nothing died. Nothing was even aggressive. There was no animals eating animals. There's no, whatever bugs there were, were getting eaten by frogs or anything. There's nothing dying. There's no death. For how long? Until they sinned. There's really no, it wasn't long, I don't think. Because he gave them one command, and, it, and if you read, it didn't take long for Satan to challenge, to tempt, and it was not very, I don't, there's no way to know definitively between the creation of Adam and Eve and when the, when the garden event happened where he, they were tempted and, and ate and fell. But it just doesn't look like it took too long. It looked like, it looked like. But they were sinless until it happened, and they were. They, there was everything was perfect, and that means everything. The creation, which you understand, during the fall, after the fall, not just human beings. We we like I said, we've been through this. We inherit his nature, his sin nature, because of the decision he made. No doubt about that. We're held guilty for the decision he made. We're born in sin because of what he did. Thank God. Yeah. Right. I always I tweeted the I think did I tweet this or not? I said the first two things I, when I get to heaven I'm gonna do I'm gonna hug Jesus <laughs> for what he did for me and I'm gonna sucker punch Adam for what he did for me. But not really. Like I said, we've been through that where I, we would have been we'd have done the same thing. Otherwise God could not have imputed his guilt to us. But but the product of the fall and to, and besides that was also everything else was affected. The aggression within animal kinds that happened then. The creation, how it produces thorns and thistles, God cursed the earth. The creation, is even biblically says it groans. Of course, it's not personal. The creation's not personal, but it groans in the sense of it's under the curse that happened because of man's sin. Because of man's sin. So there was no death in animals. There were no death in human beings until after Adam existed and was tempted and ate. Not even when Eve ate. It was when Adam ate. So... Biblically, you cannot believe, you got to either believe the Bible or you got to believe evolution. You can't believe both. And if you're a Christian and you, you're out there and you think that you can, you can somehow ride the fence on that, you cannot. You cannot do that just for that one simple fact. So biblically, man existed already before any death. So there's no way you can have something evolving through the process of death upward to man. Not biblically. After Adam's sin, death began. So you have to choose to either believe God in his word or a fallen sinner such as Charles Darwin. And that's the end of my lesson. How old is, when did Charles Darwin live? Dad probably knows more about that than I would. How long did he live? When was it, what was his time frame? Oh, in the, 19th, in the 20th century. Or 19th century. Was he in the 1800s? Yeah, he was. I think so. 
And you know, like I said, you know, the sad thing, and uh, and I, I know no reason between Charles Darwin and me or anybody who's evil in me is God saved me and regenerated me. So I'm not looking down this or saying that. That's the truth. But I would not want to be Charles Darwin. I would not want to be. I would not want to be Muhammad. I would not want to be. 1809 to 1882. I would not want to be Joseph Smith. And the reason why, what a lot of people. I try to explain this too, I think. I believe this is biblical. That they're not in hell right now. Hell doesn't happen until the end of time. Until the end, God wraps everything up with the return of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and then you have the white throne judgment. That's when hell, that's when res, people, are, people who are unsaved raised bodily. And that's when hell begins for them. They're in some kind of torment without their bodies right now, so it's not good, but it's not final hell yet. And one reason you have to understand that is that Darwin's effect, he's long gone. He's long gone. Again, I think he's in torment, but I don't think he's but his final judgment has not been decided yet. Why? Because his his theory is still corrupting people. He's gonna be held accountable for stuff that's happening after his death. Same thing with Joseph Smith, long gone. Mormonism still corrupting and and deceiving people. He's gonna pay for that even after he I mean even people Somebody gets converted to Mormonism today, he's going to be held accountable for that. Muhammad started the Muslim religion. People, how many billions of Muslims now? He's long gone, in torment, and yet his his final judgment hasn't even been decided yet because there's still more people being corrupted. But he's by. got a bunch of urgents. Huh? He's got a bunch of <laughs> yeah. urgents. Yeah, sadly he found out immediately. And those, yeah. Sadly those people flying into flying airplanes in the buildings, they found out immediately after they had been deceived. But... Yeah, so you know, I wouldn't. And Darwin, I mean, his influence on on the on people, like I said, I, he would be one of the last people on the planet that I would want to be at the White Throne Judgment because he's going to be held accountable for every single person that gets corrupted by his corrupt theory. So, but again, like we talked about, these are good things to have, and you really look that over, read that over, and kind of get some of these concepts in your head. So if somebody asks you, you can just give an answer. You don't have to be scientific about it. You can just give an explanation. Yet always knowing that in order for a person to believe the gospel, to be saved, which is what our goal is, we've got to make sure we're, my goal is not to win an argument with somebody. Because if you win an argument with somebody but you're a jerk about it, you haven't done anything but make yourself look, make Christ look bad. And, okay, you won an argument, big deal. What would you get done? Except inflate your own pride. But if you really genuinely are loving the person you're talking to and trying to gently bring them back to the issue of the heart, yet you're able to answer some of these questions, you, you can be a sharper tool in the hands of our Savior. And that's, what, that's why we do this. It's important stuff to, to have answers. Because, again, you don't want to go out there and have somebody come up to you and, and just say, well, I have no... And like I said, you, there's, you're going to have questions that you don't know. And a lot of times the best way in a loving way is say, I don't know that. And you go back to the gospel. He said, "But if you really, genuinely want me to look into that for you, I will." But usually, like I said, it's a, it's just another. It's like I've dealt with these people, and here's how it goes: you like you put they set fires over here, and you go put it out with some facts, and then they go set two more fires over here, and you try and go put it out. But eventually, I'll just start chase. I stop chasing fires and, and try and get to the heart, heart of the issue and say, "Look right at him. Say you're going to stand before God. How are you going to if if the if the God of the Bible is true." And you're going to be held to a perfect standard. And if you've sinned one time, the Bible says, you're going to be condemned to hell forever. How are you going to stand before God? That's where you want to take it, I think. I think morally, 
because that's the issue. Because that's why they that's why they're starting these fires everywhere. Because they don't want to deal with that. Hard. They want to avoid it. Sure. They don't want the conviction of sin. And you know, I'm not even talking about the regeneration conviction of the spirit. I'm saying they don't even want to feel bad about their sin. And that's what you want them to do, though. You want them to realize. And I always say, hey, think about it tonight when you're in bed. Think about it. How would I stand before a holy God if I were judged according to my life? I want that fear of God in their in their hearts and their minds, and hopefully the God and God would take this, God's Spirit would take that to the heart, regenerate, and produce saving faith that would grant them forgiveness of sins. All right, well that'll be the last of our papers for a while. We'll finish Romans, and then I think what we're Lord willing, maybe we'll do. Dad's been wanting to do go back to the gospel, and I think that'd be a good idea to maybe go and do Luke which would take us about 10 years. So we could take breaks, but that's probably the, the broad plan is to go back to Romans and finish it, and then maybe do a couple things in between. And then the next project would be Luke, the book of Luke. I was listening to uh, MacArthur when I was walking last week, and his one on uh, fools and let's see, fools and wisdom. You know, you're either a fool or you're wise. Okay. You remember that one? Nope, not specifically. He, he, you know, he put all the the non-believers are fools. And, okay. You know, otherwise, but he went through. I mean, he always has so many lists. You know? Yeah. And I'm trying to, you know, like wait a minute here. You know, first of all, the one with fear of God. That was what he kept saying. For the with the wise. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, he, he was talking, you know how you, we talk about all the time in church, you're saved, sacrificed, he went through all those four things over and over. I don't get that. What? Well, I wish I could remember the words, but... Salvation, so, sanctification. And then there were two more. Two more after that. Glorification. Maybe. And... Yeah, I don't know. You, you get saved at a point in time, that's when you believed. Right. You believe the gospel. You recognize your own sinfulness, that you need for a savior, and you right. believe you believe the the gospel is who he is. You believe who he is, and you believe and you sin, yeah. You believe he's God. That's the the threshold point, I think. And you believe that he died for your sins, and you trust in him alone for salvation. That's what that's a point in time, right. and that's settled. That your destination changes from eternal hell right. to eternal heaven, right there, and nothing can take that away from you. And then sanctification is what the Spirit indwells you, and he's conforming us to the image of Christ. That's the daily, day in, day out, and that's a long process, and it takes time. And but we're progressing upwards, and some people progress faster, and you know that can be a different pace. But the pace of it's always upward for a Christian, for a genuine born again person. There is sanctification, and then glorification will happen at the rapture, where you get your new body and you'll be perfect. Well, there was something in between that. Salvation, justification, salvation. Dash yeah, it's about the same thing. Sanctification, glorification. Yeah, usually it's three. I don't know what the fourth one would be. But glorification is when you get your new body and you have no more, you can't sin anymore. We'll live in the presence of Christ. And we won't, we'll never sin. Our body will match our... When you die? It's when you die. Well, no, you won't get your body when you die. If you die before the rapture, then your spirit goes to be with Christ, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And then at the rapture, your body will come out of the ground and you'll meet with your spirit. Or if you're alive, you'll just get changed. You won't die. And there's going to be people who don't die. They're immediately transformed into their glorified body. And that's what, that's what you'll be, with, be like forever. 
So that's what that is. But sanctification is what we're, you know, the, the learning and knowing and reading and studying, and, and he, he's in charge of that too. The spirit within you does that. There might there's some other people add a few more, but essentially, um, your salvation it's uh, salvation justification happens when you hear the gospel and believe the gospel. So justification maybe that's what you threw. That's immediate. Yeah, it's the same thing as salvation. I would say now there's people who, and there's been some controversies over the past year or so where people talk about a final salvation and things like that. And I don't like the terminology. I don't think that, I don't like the term. Yeah, there's salvation, which is when you believed. That's when you got saved, and that's it. I mean, you're you're you are ju- you are. What that means is that you were counted righteous. You are applied His righteousness, Christ's righteousness to your life immediately and finally, and all your sins, past, present, and future, He paid for on the cross. That happens when you believed. Not one single work, not one single obedience, not one single anything, and then over over. That begins, though, sanctification. And it begin, and if you, every true Christian, everyone who truly gets saved, that will begin. That's where you get into this debate about people saying that they're, they're Christians and they make a decision at some point in their life, but there's absolutely no change in their life. And there's no love for Christ. There's no advancement. There's, there's just, and a matter of fact, they'll even say, well, you can stop believing, but as long as there's a particular point in time where you believe, then you're fine. That's unbiblical, too. Saving faith always, always produces, produces obedience, works, and everything else. But it's after salvation. It's not before it. And you got to be careful to make sure that you don't. And Roman Catholicism would say, you know, you have to say, you have to have your works first before you're justified. That's unbiblical. But it's also unbiblical to say you can be a Christian and stay the same. Because the spirit that regenerated you and indwells you, he will conform you. He will pr- he will change what you think, your worldview. He'll turn it biblical, and then you'll follow in that pattern again. That that, that process is different for each person, and it's my job as a your teacher to encourage you to read. As the more scripture you read, the more uh, things you do that it commands well, you to you do. Yeah, I, you know, I think MacArthur's going to have to write me a check someday because i got just about everybody I know on him now. I was li- I was, and, and tell him to take it just an hour. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I walk for an hour. I walk for an hour. And I'm getting to the end, and I'm like, he's not done yet, and I'm still got to stop. Like I said, you cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong with him. And uh, I'm not, It was an interesting one. It was called, you know, Fools and... Everybody who starts, again, I hate to, I struggle because I want to prop him up because he knows, and the reason he knows, he knows, John MacArthur knows that every gift he has that he's been able to bless people with has been from God. And he's been, but he's been very highly used of God. And I thank God, I thank God, not John, I thank God that I found John because he really did impact my life in a magnificent way. But there's others. Like I said, S. Lewis Johnson is another guy I really, 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 he's creeping up on MacArthur just a little bit. Really? He's an older, yeah, he was, he was kind of uh, MacArthur's uh, mentor or protege or whatever. He, MacArthur mentions him a lot, and you can see why. This guy's really, really solid, too. He's got a little more sense of humor than MacArthur's got. This guy's a funny guy. But I got this on my counter. I'll tell you what else was Until next time. Oh, sorry. We will see you back in Romans.